Well, hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 147, and today what we're going to be talking about is, well, hijacking. I know, I know, it's a downer, and a lot of people don't want to talk about it or they don't want to face it, but we do have to understand what it means and how we can protect ourselves. Now, I did an episode back on episode 105, so that's the amazingseller.com forward slash 105, where I talk about it. So if you haven't listened to that one, you probably want to listen to that one as well. But also what I wanted to do here is I wanted to have an ex-Amazon employee come on, okay? James Thompson, who actually worked for Amazon in their FBA sellers department where he brought on new sellers. So he knows a thing or two about this game, okay? And what I wanted to do is really ask him, what can we do to protect ourselves? What are some of the best practices? What are the things we can look out for? All of those things. And that's what I'm excited to share with you today on this episode today, okay? Where we're actually gonna ask him questions. We're gonna get the answers to those questions and the best practices. So I'm really, really excited to share this interview with you. Now, before I do jump into the interview, I did want to let anyone that's brand new, I wanted to first off say thank you so much and welcome. And everyone else that's uh, you know been listening since the beginning or came in maybe midstream, you guys are awesome and happy, happy new year. We're into 2016 now officially, which I'm really, really psyched and pumped up for. And our Facebook group, our Facebook page is just awesome. Our TAS that is up over 21,000 members right now actively in there helping one another, whether you're just starting, whether you're uh, a seller that's been selling for six months, a year, two years, there's a place for everyone and I'm really, really excited to see where the community goes this coming year because I think it's going to be great and it's growing and just people are awesome in that community. So if you are not a part of that community, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash F is in Frank, B is in boy. That's for Facebook. I did want to pull one little one little quote here that was put in, which I think is awesome. And this was done by Many Blue. That was the name, Many Blue. So Many, thank you so much. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I probably am not, and I apologize for that. But let me just read this really quick because I think it definitely uh, could be something that you might want to write down or uh, you know even just think about. Okay, so this was posted, and this is what it says: If you fail, never give up, because fail f a i l means first attempt in learning. End is not the end. In fact, end e n d means effort never dies. If you get no as an answer, remember no means that means N-O, next opportunity. So let's be positive, smiley face. I love that. That is something that I am going to be having on my little screen share here or my my screen uh, that I can look at, you know, I put it up on a post-it note, whatever it is, I'm gonna have that where I can see that in my journal. That is a great, great thing to live by because I do believe that uh, you know everything we do doesn't have to be, especially if we get frustrated and we feel like we're failing, it's not necessarily failing, we're just learning through this process, all right? So definitely, thanks for sharing that many, and again, that's things that we're doing inside of the TAS group, and it's just an awesome place to be. Now, before we do jump in, one last little reminder here. If you're brand new and you have not went through my 12-day free private label course, head over to freeprivatelabelcourse.com. You can sign up there for a free 12-day course that walks you through step-by-step the five phases that I used and many people that I know used for finding a product, sourcing a product, launching a product, and promoting a product. And it's very similar to what I teach on my workshop, 
but I would definitely recommend going through this. It'll lay it out for you step by step. Again, that's freeprivatelabelcourse.com. All right, so what do you guys say? Let's go ahead and jump into this interview with James Thompson and learn about how to protect ourselves, how to set our businesses up correctly so we cannot be as easy of a target for these people that are preying on you know these listings that they feel like they can take over and start capitalizing on all the hard work that we've done. All right, so enjoy this interview with James Thompson. Well, hey, James, thank you so much for hanging out with us. What's going on? How you doing? Good morning, Scott. Delighted to be here. Happy uh, happy to chat with you and uh, talk more about the ever-extensively complicated issue of product hijacking on Amazon. Yeah, this is a pretty, uh, a pretty hot topic, uh, one that... Uh, you know, some people that are brand new might not even understand what it is. So maybe what we can do is catch people up to speed on that. And then from sure, there, we sure. can dive into what we can do to prevent it or our best practices, I guess. And then what we can do if someone does uh, do that and kind of like how we can kind of, you know, I guess, help ourselves the best the best way possible. Uh, and I know that you've got, you know, some some different theories and probably different things that we can do. So I definitely want to dive into that. Why don't you give people a quick little background though, about your, your background as far as within the Amazon, uh, you know, the platform itself, but actually the company itself. Why don't you give us a little bit of a background? Sure. So, um, I had the opportunity to work in Amazon for just under six years. Uh, I left about two years ago after doing a number of things, including being Amazon's first account manager, and then running the Amazon services platform, which is the platform through which just about all new sellers will join Amazon as they self-service, sign up to become sellers. I've worked with literally thousands of sellers and I've watched a lot of folks do a lot of silly things that have caused their accounts to either be suspended or unfortunately in some situations be terminated. I'm happy to, to chat more about some of these issues and we can talk about uh, talk about some of the, the very tactical aspects of, of what to do with Amazon. But I think first and foremost, it's important to, to understand Amazon is a beast with a very specific type of culture. And what I hope I can do through today's discussion is shed some more light on essentially the rules of the game that Amazon creates for its marketplace, because they're highly predictable. And for the number of sellers that I've worked with who have said, I just don't get what they're doing. I don't understand why they're doing this. The reality is most of this is pretty predictable, and we may not like what Amazon's doing, but we can anticipate what they're going to do and, and how it's going to impact our ability to get Amazon to take action, to clean up our listings, or to help protect our products. All that stuff is very predictable, and so we, we can talk more about that through our discussion this morning morning. Yeah, no, and I'd love to dive into the best practices, I guess, as a an Amazon private labeler or even just a seller in general. I would love to deep dive into that. Um, you know, I do generally like to keep things on topic, on point, and I think if we just yep. cover those two, I think that would be really, sure. really helpful for people. Sure. Hijacking sure. and then also, you know, how to keep your account from being suspended by playing by the rules, like what are the rules, right. you know, kind of thing. Right. And maybe right. you can shed some light on that stuff for us. Um, but I think it's interesting to be able to deep dive into someone that's actually been working behind the scenes, you know, and you kind of, you know, you kind of know what, uh, you know, what they like and what they don't like, and maybe you can kind of help us uh, moving forward so we can prevent this and play by the rules because, you know, we do want to play by the rules. We're not here to uh, figure out a shortcut that's going to, you know, in the end hurt us. 
right. you know, I always teach, uh, you know, even in my own experience, it's all about creating a real business that can, uh, well, it could actually be sold if you wanted to because you're doing everything by the rules. Um, so that's really what we want to cover here. Um, and I'd love for you to shed some light on. So why don't we deep dive a little bit into, um, okay, first let's talk about hijacking. What is yep. hijacking? Give us, you know, your, um, your, uh, I guess we can do like a minute, minute and a half, two minutes, sure. whatever, kind of like get people caught up to speed in a hurry. So the, the reality is lots of products sell really well on Amazon and there are companies that would like to take over those product listings. So let's say you sell socks and somebody likes that listing and sees that it's got really good sales rank. Uh, it is possible if the, if the listing hasn't been created properly, it is possible for somebody else to come along and say, you sell striped socks, but I'm going to take over this listing and I'm going to start selling my cell phone accessory on the same product page. And I'm basically going to change the title, the image, all the content. But I'm going to say thank you very much because you've got a lot of good product reviews and a lot of traffic and a lot of sales rank. That will help me sell my cell phone accessory. And all of a sudden, your striped socks have disappeared from the listing. And I've now taken it over in order to be able to sell my product, which has nothing to do with yours. Mm. This whole concept is called product hijacking. It happens a lot. There are definitely things that uh, sellers need to understand about how to protect that, protect themselves from that happening. I will say that it, it happens all the time. And there are companies, um, I, I could use a lot of negative terms, but there are bottom feeders that are looking for product pages that haven't been properly protected that aren't being properly managed by the, the company that created the page. There are companies trolling for these pages all the time because the reality is if you can find that kind of page and you can get a lot of customers instantly coming to the page using the acquired traffic that was on that page, you can help sell whatever item it is that you're going to sell. So there's a lot of companies out there doing private label products and everybody wants to sell their brand. And if you can get any advantage to accelerating the sales, um, that that's certainly one approach. It's certainly not ethical. It's difficult to detect and to untangle on an Amazon side, but there are definitely issues uh, that that we can take. There are definitely uh, approaches that we can take in order to reduce the likelihood that we're going to be the victim. The way I like to think about these kinds of issues is it's not so much that we're going to prevent this from happening to ourselves, but rather we're going to reduce the likelihood that we're attractive as a target. There are always targets out there. On Amazon, our task is to find ways to, to reduce the likelihood that we're a target for this kind of action. Mm. A very interesting, um, I think, too, to, to for people to understand. I've, and I've never heard it put that way, which is great. I, I love the, the sock analogy and then turning it into a cell phone accessory. Um, and for people that are, you know, are brand new, you know, basically uh, what James just, you know, was kind of alluding to is that they're, they're stealing that listing in a sense. I mean, obviously, Amazon owns all the listings. We know that it's in their catalog and all that stuff. But, you know, if you haven't done things properly, they can come in there and swipe that and then start changing things because now they're going to take it over. Now, Let's, let's talk about that, though, really quick. How would someone go about And I don't want to teach this, but I want to understand. How can someone come in and right. actually take my listing and take it over? Is it just by price? Are they going to be able to go in and say they have the same product and then just start then change the price and then I get the buy box? How does that work? So it all starts with you, you've, got, you've got your listing. I come along. Let's say I'm the, I'm the naughty one here. I come along and I say, yep, I've got an offer on the same product. 
Well, lo and behold, I also have what's known as a higher content authority score. That means when I submit data on that listing, the likelihood that my content is going to surface ahead of yours is greater. Mm. And so what I can do is I can start changing. I, I can start not only have I submitted an offer, but I can start changing the title. I can change the product description, the bullet points, the item, cl- item type classification terms, the generic keywords. I can even change the main image. So I would do this one by one by one. And because I have a higher content authority to you, Uh, I will actually get my content to surface ahead of yours. And once it surfaces, I might actually even have changed the brand name. And let's say, this is really sneaky, but let's say that I have what's called, some of your your followers may be familiar with brand registry. Oh, yeah. We can talk more about that in a minute. But if I have brand registry for my brand and I've taken over your listing and I change the brand on the listing, if I have brand registry on that brand, guess what? All of my content will now get locked down because I have brand registry on the brand that I've just changed it to. So I've effectively not only taken over your brand, but I've built a big wall around your ability to make changes back to what it originally was. So it, it's it's very underhanded, but it's completely doable if you've left yourself exposed when you set up the product listing in the first place. Mm. So um, we, we can talk more about the logistics of how to avoid this from happening. And yes, I don't want your, your listeners to, to say, well, wait a minute, that sounds like a great opportunity for me to go and troll for, for poorly set up listings. The reality is if you get caught doing this, Amazon will come after you and they're not just going to smack your hand. They're probably going to toss you from the, from the platform. So yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a, a, an action that I would suggest anyone take. I would rather help somebody figure out what are the responsible ways to build a, to build a, a a product detail page, and then how to drive traffic to it to build up uh, the interest in the products that you're selling. Yeah. So why don't we why don't we actually talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's interesting uh, the the brand registry topic, yep. and I yep. think that uh, you know a lot of people just starting don't understand what it is, and they think that it's a big complicated thing. So why don't you talk, I guess, about what is the first thing that you would do to make sure that your listing is properly done in the beginning so you could prevent this from happening or at least make it harder for it to happen. Well, let's step back even one step before that, which is let's say I'm a private label seller. I've got some products. I've got a brand. The first thing I would do is I would go out and I would get a trademark for that brand. Okay. One of the things that Amazon is pretty adamant about is people can't just say they have a brand because they made up a brand. There has to be documentation to show that there actually is a brand. And one of the best forms of documentation is a U.S. registered trademark number. So if you've taken the time to do this and you're serious about building a brand and you've got the right legal paperwork to say, this is not just some brand name I made up last night, but actually a brand that I've registered and I've got the paperwork to justify that it is in fact tied to me, you can now take that trademark number, you can go into Amazon Seller Central you can look for the program called Brand Registry, and you can actually submit to have your brand locked down to you, meaning you can submit the data for your product listings such that Amazon will grant you the exclusive on the content for, for, that, for, those, for those products in that, in that brand. So let's say your brand is Stripey Socks Limited, and you make Stripey Socks, that's the name of your brand, and you've got a trademark for Stripey Socks, you can go into the brand registry program, register the brand of Stripey Socks, 
And now anytime you create a listing with the brand name of Stripey Socks, the content that you submit will be the content that gets locked down on the product detail page. Mm, the problem okay. is, the problem, there's actually a couple of, of problems, or what I'll call misunderstandings about how this works. First of all, the, the brand registry, all it does is allow you to lock down content. It doesn't limit who can sell the product. Right. All it does is say, okay, Scott, you have Stripey Socks as your brand name. You've got the U.S. trademark number. You've gone in, you've registered this. Now, whenever you submit data against Stripey Socks listings, that content will get locked down. Well, here's a couple of other misperceptions. Number one, once you're approved for brand registry and Amazon sends you an email and says, congratulations, yes, we've given you brand registry for this product, or excuse me, for this brand, that's only, that's only basically an invitation to get started. You now have to resubmit all your product feeds for product listings that you've created on that brand. So if you've already got a bunch of products for Stripey Socks on the platform, you need to resubmit that data. And when you resubmit that data, the data that you submit will get locked down with the exception of the main image on the product detail page. Um, so brand registry doesn't allow you to lock down the main image, but it allows you to lock down everything else. So if you've been approved for brand registry, you've resubmitted all your data, the data you submit will get locked down but guess what? All the data that you don't submit, that is to say, for all the columns of data in the flat file that you don't submit, somebody else can come along and submit data for those fields. So let's say, for example, you didn't fill in any of the bullet points on your listing. Well, if you don't have any bullet point data, then there's nothing to lock down. And somebody else can come along and submit their data, and that data will now surface on the product detail page. Until such time as you submit bullet point data, to overwrite and lock down your content ahead of what might already be there. So you need to think about how do I get brand registry in place, but then how do I get all the content that I want to have on the product detail page, how do I get that stuff locked down and not leave off critical columns of data that somebody else might in fact be able to implement on the product detail page and very much change the flavor of the message I'm trying to communicate to, to, to sellers. Or excuse me, to, to, to customers. Okay. So we talk about the content that you see on the product detail page, but Brand Registry also lets you lock down the generic keywords uh, and some of the information that's behind the scenes that you can't otherwise see on the product detail page. Okay. So Brand Registry is, is only step one, I'm, but that is, that is definitely a very important first step to avoiding having your product detail page get hijacked by somebody else. Because you'll remember what we talked about at the beginning, the first step that has to happen after another company comes along and puts an offer on, on that listing, the first thing they have to do is start changing content on the product detail page. Well, if you've prevented them from being able to, to change content, th then they're going to go find some other product detail page that they can change the content on. Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a very important point there, actually, because like you said, you just made it all harder. You made it, there's, there's easier ones out there to go after than yours. I think of it as the lion and the, the group of gazelles. You don't have to be the fastest gazelle. You just have to make sure you're not the slowest gazelle when the <laughs> lion goes hunting. Ab the same, absolutely. same concept. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally I totally get it. Now, I, I know there's some listeners, uh, probably a lot of them listening to this, and they're saying like, okay, so what James is saying then, if I want to just go and even play around with this private label thing, right? I'm, yep. just a, I'm just a guy on the weekend that's trying to make a few extra bucks, and I want to test this thing out before I go all in, right? Yep. So... 
you know, me personally, I want a proof concept before I go ahead and I file for a trademark. I file for, uh, you know, all of the, you know, the website and all of that sure, stuff, right? I'm sure. just a guy trying to see, that, you know, if this thing's going to fly. Yep. So what you're saying is it's okay to do that. But once you start to see that you start getting some traction, you better start taking these other steps. Absolutely. So I, I have, I don't have a problem at all with somebody experimenting and trying out and saying, look, I, I, I have my 10 different SKUs that I'm going to test out. I've got a brand name, but it's not it's not registered yet. But I don't even know if customers are interested in any of these 10 SKUs. And if they are, I have no idea which of the 10 SKUs are the ones that are going to sell. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to throw those 10 SKUs up on product detail pages. I'm going to see what happens as the sales start to come in and I'm getting traction. At that point, you have to say, okay, I need to get serious about locking this down. And quite frankly, one of the one of the steps that I would take if you don't want to get the trademark, but you still want to get some initial protection, one of the things I absolutely would do is get yourself a UPC for each of these SKUs. And then on the simplest of web pages, I'm talking you could get yourself a WooCommerce site, you know, for 20 bucks a, 20 bucks a year, just some simple, simple site. Even if that site is not a shopping site, it's got to have your brand name on it. So the URL for the brand is, you know, stripeysocks.com. Okay. It, again, it's, these are not expensive to, no. to get a website. You only need to get it for you know a couple months until you see that, yes, in fact, this is going to work. But one of the things you want to do is get yourself a UPC for every SKU, and then on that website, publish a very simple list that says, here are all my SKUs, and here are the corresponding UPCs for those SKUs. Now you have a manufacturer site with the SKUs and UPCs on it. When you create those listings on Amazon with those UPCs, Amazon now has manufacturer-based data that you can show them that says, listen, these particular SKUs that I have are actually tied to these UPCs and not to anything else. So if somebody were to come along and try to hijack your listing and you didn't have brand registry yet, you could at least show Amazon through, through a seller support ticket. You could say, wait a minute, someone's taken over my UPC, but let's go to the manufacturer site over here and I can show you that doesn't that that UPC doesn't belong to the product that somebody has now taken over. It belongs to this other item. You can see on my manufacturer website, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of proof that Amazon needs to get started on being able to untangle inappropriate offers that have been put on a listing that does have a proper UPC. Uh, I got it. Yeah, that that makes that makes total sense, and that is a really simple, inexpensive way to do it. And I would even say, I mean, even in the beginning, like to go just buy the domain name with your brand name that you're thinking of doing here. Yeah, uh, yeah. buying the domain name. Now you got proof that you own the domain name. Now from there, you can create the website which you proof that you own. And now what you're saying, let me just try to follow you here. You're sure. saying actually take those UPC codes, and would you like create product pages for all of them, and then put the, the the UPC code on that page, or would you just have a list of your your SKUs on a separate page on your manufacturer website you literally need a, a simple excel spreadsheet with two columns one that says the SKU, one that says the upc oh okay simple as that because okay. what's going to happen is if you need to go to amazon and show that somebody may have taken over your upc to put their listing on it you can say wait wait a minute hang on a sec i created this listing on amazon I, it was the first time you ever saw the upc was when i created the listing and now someone's come along and they've put their cell phone accessory on my stripey socks. Uh, but wait a minute, it's not a cell phone accessory. Let's go to the manufacturer website over here, and I will show you proof that the UPCs actually correspond to these other listings, which are these SKUs for stripey socks. Okay. 
Okay. So I, in fact, I like that. Yeah. If you, want, if you want to help yourself out just a little bit, add a third column, which is so you've got the SKU, you've got the UPC, and then you've got the name of the product. So here's the green stripey socks and the blue stripey socks and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So you, literally no one's ever going to go to that website except for when you need to justify to Amazon that uh, there may have been an issue with someone taking over your UPC. Now, all of this becomes much less relevant in a situation where you do, in fact, do the brand registry. Uh, because with brand registry, you'll be able to lock down all this other content. And the likelihood of somebody coming after your UPC is less. But nonetheless, to the extent that, we, as you were saying, we, we, we try things out before we get our trademark registered, mm. uh, certainly certainly do this UPC trick because it's very helpful at least to be effective if you have to respond um, to the actions of, of somebody taking over your page. Yeah, no, I, I totally I agree with that. I think it's a very easy step. And, you know, for people out there that don't know, like a trademark itself, uh, you know, could take six months, eight months before it's finalized. Yep. Yep. So the brand registry, I know, takes about three, four days, if that. Sometimes it's even sooner if you have the components in place. So what are they looking for to be able to be brand registered? Let's let's kind of go back to basics on that. What does Amazon need for you to brand register? I mean, I know personally, but why don't you explain to the listeners? Well, you're going to have to have a, a name, an email, a phone number, a registered trademark number. And then you're going to have to decide what key characteristic you want to use to lock down your listings. So typically people will say, I want to show that my products are uniquely classified by UPCs or by European EANs, or I may use a model number. I mean, those are typically the three mm-hmm. main main uh, classification uh, approaches that companies will take. And what happens is anytime any of those three numbers, the UPC, the EAN, or the model number, depending on which one you've selected, anytime that shows up in the Amazon catalog, Amazon knows, oh, um, this brand name in combination with the UPC or in combination with the EAN or in combination with the model number, that actually belongs to a brand registered brand, which uh, Scott Volker has registered uh, for Stripey Socks. Mm-hmm. And so now you've got a situation where anybody that comes along uh, to create to create a listing um, using that UPC, if it's already in the system and it's already been locked down in brand registry, People can't try to recycle your UPC, uh, which is actually another sneaky way that people sometimes will will take over product listings. Um, but anyways, so so brand brand registry, you, you've got to have your brand in place, and if you've got common misspellings or different iterations of how the brand is spelt, um, that's important to note. So for example, if you were striped socks, comma LLC or Stripe Socks, or the Stripe Socks Company, whatever those different combinations are, it's important to know what they all are because you'll be submitting against all of those uh, so that in a situation where somebody creates a listing with any one of those different brand name versions, it'll all get tied back to your brand registry submission. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's let's kind of break this down then really, really simply. Yeah. So yep. no, number one, if you're going to go out there and test out different products, at least create a very, very simple website. It could be, like you said, a one-page website in a sense with an Excel spreadsheet with three columns, uh, basically just listing what you just covered, having that in place. And then... And actually, just a second thought, and that that website URL should be 
consistent with your brand name. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I would say anyone looking to even create that brand, your very first step before you even say that you're going to create that and brand anything on a product, I would look for the the uh, the web address first. I would make sure that I could get the, the, the domain name myself personally. Yep. Um, that would just also, again, secure that you bought the domain name. It's registered for you. And then from there, uh, you know, now we're going to start branding out our material. But now we want to also create that website with that simple, simple, uh, you know, Excel spreadsheet if you wanted to. I would go as far as also have an about page and a contact page and maybe even a couple of product pages that are also linking back to my Amazon store. Um, I would probably do that. But you don't have to, but you know, this here is also going to help them when they do the brand registry, right? So now when they do the brand registry, you're going to submit your website because they want you to have a website. And then from there, they're going to be able to cross-reference that stuff. They're going to be able to look at your UPC if that's what you're using as your right. identifier right. Um, and, and so forth. And then once you're ready, but let's just be clear here. You do not have to have a trademark in order to get brand registered. Um. <laughs> well, I, I'm just saying, I'm saying this, this, this on the fly. This is not, I yeah, didn't need you, it. You're, you're correct. You don't need a trademark. However, uh, Amazon may decline your submission. Okay. So I, I have seen situations where people have been approved without the trademark number. Um, but if you do submit the trademark, there's no doubt that, in fact, you have a real brand, a legitimate brand, rather than a brand name you just you just pulled out of thin air yesterday and plopped down on the submission paper. Okay. So That's fair. Um, I can't give you a yes, no answer because I don't know how much of the, um, how many of these submissions that have been approved without the trademark, how, how often that was submitted because a human error was made. I've definitely seen some be submitted without and be approved, but I believe that they're looking for real brands with trademarks. Okay, and I'm going to come in there and say what's happened to me personally, and I'm going to also say what's happened to a bunch of my students and a bunch of my listeners. I've never heard someone say, come back to me and say they got declined because they didn't have a trademark. That's 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 good to know from the perspective of of a a newbie trying to get started. Yeah, I I have not I've not heard that. Now, if someone listening that's happened, please email me, let me know that because I do want to know that stuff. But as far as I can see right now, everyone that I've ever heard that's submitted or anything of the trademark was not um, part of the criteria to approval. Great. Okay, great. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So, so anyway, on the basic terms though, that's what we want to do guys. And and I, I think, you know, James broke that down really, really clear. And I love the, the, the spreadsheet idea, having that on there so we can cross-reference that. That's really, really awesome to be able to do that and be able to add that other layer there because that's what we're doing, right, James? We're, we're creating these layers in a sense that's going to help us that if we do have to go the Amazon route where we have to go into their, uh, into their court, let's call it, because that's really what you're doing. Cause I don't believe that they're going to say, well, the trademark is this, that, or the other thing. It's, it's about their, what is their criteria once you go through and start saying like, okay, I've been hijacked, someone's taken over my listing, and then you have to start going through their system now, right? You got to buy the product, you can, you know, cross, you know, like through all of that, maybe take us a little bit through that process. Cause I do believe that they have their own judge and jury. I do believe that. Yeah. Amazon's a very good organization at being reactive. They're not very good at being proactive, but from a reactive perspective, there are definitely things you can do to prepare so that if you do have to take steps to communicate with Amazon and say, oh my goodness, uh, I've been hijacked. Uh, please help me untangle this mess and get rid of the hijackers. Yeah. So the we, we talked about having the website with the information with the UPCs. That, that's certainly one important first step. Um, you'll end up, no matter what ends up happening, 
if you see that your product's been hijacked, you're going to have to file a seller support ticket yes. to get the, to get things started and say, okay, wait a minute, there's been a problem, something's happened. Um, now you're going to have to start providing evidence to Amazon that, in fact, you are the brand owner. And uh, I like to start with this UPC idea where you can demonstrate that the UPCs, in fact, are being used for something quite different than what they were initially uh, registered in your catalog for. Um, one of the things that I like to tell folks is that there's an Amazon tool called csi.amazon.com. It's an internal tool that Amazon people have. It allows them to track exactly who has submitted what at different stages on each ASIN. So if you first created a listing and you got your ASIN for your 10 listings and there were UPCs on those submissions, they can see that those UPCs were used for your stripy socks. They can also see that at some subsequent date, somebody else came along, added their offer, and then started changing all the different categories of data. Mm. They have that data. The problem is Amazon, you sometimes have to hit them over the head and remind them they've got this tool. So uh, for your listeners who are having problems getting Amazon to do this deep dive, remind Amazon to go and use the csi.amazon.com tool to be able to untangle which data was submitted at what point by whom on the particular listing. So they can go back, they can see the history and see that, yep, somebody went in and almost certainly the hijacker made lots of changes in a very short period of time. They can see that that happened. We're not here to point fingers on whether that was done implicitly or explicitly, but rather to be able to show Amazon, hey, wait a minute, some other completely irrelevant listing got combined with my listing. So where are my stripy socks rather than these cell phone accessories? Mm. So you file the ticket, you say, hey, my product's been uh, taken over. Please go check the CSI listing for these particular products. Uh, here, here's the website, the manufacturer website with the UPCs and the products that do correspond to it. And then Amazon will come back to you with any number of questions around, well, you know, this is hard for us to do and we're not sure and blah, 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 blah. And show us all the data that was on the product page beforehand, which takes me to the next point. Once you create your listings, I strongly encourage you to take a screenshot of every product page that you have for your brand. Mm, yeah. you, you now have a record of what the page actually looked like. Now, you may not necessarily need to submit those screenshots to Amazon, but you have that data. So if you had to, if you unfortunately you had to manually recreate the content, you, you'd actually have a record of it that you could, you could use. So maybe you submitted all your files, all, all your data through a flat file. Keep those flat files. Keep them well labeled so that you could submit them back to Amazon. If you submitted the data in a flat file, there's going to be a feed number uh, when you submitted that. Write down that feed number and say, okay, on, you know, on December 21st, 2015, I submitted 10 products for the first time in feed 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and here's the flat file. Now you can go to Amazon and say, uh, please make it the way it was. And here's the file that it was, and here's here's the uh, the feed number and the history and all that kind of information. And so now you're giving now you're giving a technician at Amazon the necessary information for them to very quickly be able to undo what's been done, but put it back to the way it was before. Mm. That's interesting. I I love love um, actually taking the screenshot idea too because. Uh, for anyone listening, I mean, that's a simple thing, right? Take your screenshots, m label them, flat file. If you're doing a yep. flat file, keep yep. record of that. 
again, we're just keeping data um, that we can use as proof uh, in, in the future if needed. You know, hopefully you won't need it, but if you do, definitely, definitely great, uh, uh, I guess a great uh, exercise to do as you're even setting up your listings. Uh, and maybe even from time to time, if you start to change things or whatever, you, you're going to want to update that stuff, but you know, you might do that monthly or, or uh, you know, get some type of flow for yourself. But yeah, right. definitely, definitely love that. And we'll link up to this actual uh, web address, the csi.amazon.com. We'll link that up and any other links that, uh, that you well, share. Yeah, just to be clear, csi.amazon.com is not available for anybody outside Amazon. Right, but what? Okay, but what I can do though is at least get that so people have it, so they can forward right. it over to the technician. Yep, yep. Right. Okay. Good. Now, let me ask you this real quick. I made a note here as you were as you were speaking there. To get a hold of support, what's the best way? Is it through email? Is it through the live chat? Or is it to actually give a, get on the phone? Yeah, it's a great question. So, my, my preferred approach is. You submit a written a written ticket, so an email ticket, and you write out all the details of the ticket. And imagine you're writing a ticket to somebody who has absolutely no clue who you are or what you want. So you spell things out with potentially more words than you otherwise would. But assume the person at the other end has absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Okay. So spell out the history, spell out the details, provide whatever data you think is useful. Then, once you've submitted the email ticket, now get on the phone with seller support and have a discussion with them on the ticket. The reason I want to start with the email is because you now have control of what data was originally written down in the ticket rather than you relying on a rep to write stuff down and make sure that the information is available for internal investigation. So think of it from the perspective of nobody cares about this issue more than you do. So make sure that you write down all the information that you think is relevant so that somebody who's a complete stranger to you, who doesn't care about the issue as much as you do, will be able to follow your train of thought, follow the data you provide them, and be able to take action on it. I've seen far too many situations where somebody calls in a ticket, but the internal data isn't written down properly by the rep, not necessarily because the rep doesn't know what he or she's doing, but because there's a lot of nuance to the particular issue, and it's better for the individual seller to take the time and write it all down in a cohesive manner to make sure that all the right data is presented to Amazon. Yeah, no, I again, I think of it like a paper trail, right? I mean, we want to be able to have as much that we can have to go back on and at least have some type of record. And uh, that's a great tip. Uh, actually doing the email first, letting it be kind of noted in your words, and then from there, calling immediately about it as well. And then you can refer back to that um, if you need to. Uh, so that's good. Uh, okay, now let, let me just kind of get this now, because I get this a lot, and let, maybe you can shed some light on this. Let's say that we get a hijacker, and yep. they did get on our listing, and yep. they're a Chinese seller, okay? And now for me to go through that process, like you were saying, and for people that don't know, the process, I mean, real quickly, is, is kind of that they usually make you go through is you have to buy the product, from that supplier that's jumping yep. on your listing yep. and you need to take pictures, show them that yours is different. Now we could also say, well, what if they're trying to counterfeit the product? What if we have Oakley glasses and they're making Oakley glasses, but they're just making Chinese versions of them. That happens all the time, right? So that could come into it where they print your brand name on it and make it look identical to your product. But let's just say, for example, that they're not doing that. Let's say that they do have something that doesn't have your mark on it and stuff, but you still got to wait for that. It could take four weeks because they're, they're fulfilling it by merchant. What's is there any way to speed that process up as far as like any language we can use with the seller or do we have to actually wait? Is that what we have to do? So the, the test buy process is something that you're likely going to end up having to do. 
But part of what we've talked about earlier in terms of being able to demonstrate that somebody is, um, well, let let me put it this way. You've actually combined a number of different issues here. If somebody is creating a counterfeit of your product, you've got a very different situation than somebody hijacking your page. Uh, Counterfeits are not really a form of hijacking. Uh, It's really a form of inappropriate product sales on the same listing versus trying to take the sales rank and the product reviews of one item and convert it over to some other product. So it's a two, two very different issues. Um, if, somebody, if somebody is selling counterfeits, yeah, you're going to have to go the route of doing test buys because unfortunately uh, the, the product itself isn't noticeably different than what you're selling. And so you're going to have to get physical proof that the version that's being sold by this other seller is somehow different than yours. That, that's very, very different than somebody took my stripey sock listing and all of a sudden I wake up this morning and discover that we're selling cell phones on this product list. I, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, that, that makes sense. I, sorry, I, I, uh, I threw another monkey wrench into it, but that's okay. you know, that's you okay. know what I mean? It's kind of, kind of like, those are things that I'm hearing and you know, I don't hear of that as much, but I do hear, I, I don't hear as much of someone selling socks and then someone selling cell phone accessories. Although I can see how that could work, but I don't hear that as much as someone coming on and selling the exact same product that's being purchased on Alibaba, let's say. Yep. Right? Yep. They're just branding it with their name. Maybe the one that you're going to get, they aren't going to brand with your name, but it's going to be very similar. And that's why I tell people, you know, bundle, uh, try to make very, you know, variations of it in, in some form, uh, adding accessories, whatever, to try to make a different packaging, all of that stuff. Yep. But yep. let's just say, for example, uh, that we did need to do the test buy and someone had just jumped on our listing and was trying to sell a similar product, but it wasn't identical. You know, it, it was similar, but it wasn't. It was a pair of those striped socks, but they didn't look like our striped socks. They were different sure. striped socks. So th- this is now a question around how much time and investment do you want to put into manufacturing? Well, what I have found with counterfeit products is that the vast majority of the counterfeits are creating the exact same product, but not the same packaging. And so what I encourage sellers to do when they when they build a private label brand is is think hard about the following. Number one, can I get the UPC printed somehow on the product? If it's a product where it's okay to have a UPC printed on it, can I get the UPC printed on? Because mo- most of the time a counterfeiter is not going to go through that, that process, or they might not even have the UPC themselves, and they would have to do a test buy of your product in order to get the UPC to then print it on to their counterfeit. Oh, I like that, yeah. The, rea- the reality is they're going to move on to some other product. Right. So, Doing a test buy is pretty easy if they say, uh, well, uh, my product has a UPC on it. Yours does not. Mm. So I'm not sure where you're getting your product, but it's clearly not the same as mine because there's physical differences in the product. Gotcha. The second issue to think about is the packaging. If you've got the brand name, you've got the UPC on the package, it's going to be a lot, a lot less interesting for someone to counterfeit that product. I'm not going to say they're not going to but you're putting up more and more resistance, making it harder for them to make a quick buck because they're going to have to create uh, packaging that's very consistent to yours. And, and what ends up happening is that they're going to move on to some other product rather than having to do a test buy of your products to get the packaging to be able to say, okay, yes, in fact, this is the package and I have to make modifications in order to make my version exactly the same as the original. Mm, I, I like that. So for people listening, 
a really simple thing to do is to have your UPC printed on your packaging and then also uh, try to make your packaging different in a sense where it's not going to be just the, the generic, you know, box. Now, I do tell people in the beginning, especially when just getting your feet wet, you know, if you're right. going to test the product like you were saying right. and then it goes and it flies, you can still change the packaging. You can still change yep. and, and put that stuff on there. Now, in the beginning, you might just go with the standard packaging. But if you do, one simple thing they could do is have the UPC printed on that packaging. Yeah, and I prefer printing on the package rather than putting a sticker on yes, the package. Yes, yes. So if, if you can get enough volume that it makes sense for you to be able to print different UPCs on different packages for different SKUs, I, I would strongly suggest that because that makes the process of validating a test buy very easy. Mm. You're still going to have to do the test buy, but it's a lot easier for you to uh, identify visually that, that there is a counterfeit. Okay. So I, I had a number of companies I worked with while I was at Amazon who got hit with very sophisticated counterfeits. And th at that point, it gets turned over to the counterfeit police within Amazon. And they, they do their, you know, their 20-point check on, on things that I don't know what to look for, but they, they know what to look for. That, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about the super sophisticated counterfeiter. I'm sure. talking about the guy who goes to the same factory and says, give me a thousand of the same thing. And, and then he puts it in his box and list, puts it on your listing and takes over half your sales, if not all of your sales, because he undercuts you. Right. So th th that's more of what I'm talking about. What we're talking about here is not going to address the issue of somebody creating perfect Oakley counterfeits. Mm. And, and you're trying to figure out where did this come from? How did this happen? That's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about some other private labeler coming along and saying, well, thanks, Scott, for all your hard work building up traffic to this page. I'm just going to take my almost the same kind of stripy socks, slap it up there and send it to customers. They probably won't notice the difference anyways, and I'll make a few bucks. Mm. That, that's really more of what we're dealing with here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that that's totally what I wanted to address because that's happening more than, and, and I think what you're saying too is there's trolls out there more or less in a sense that are looking for the low hanging fruit. They're going to go ahead and tack those because they're easy. Um, and if we can do these things that we're talking about, it's going to make it harder and they're going to go on to the next. Right. Now, you mentioned something about potentially changing the packaging on your product as the product starts to take off. That's great, but absolutely make sure that you update your main images mm, on the absolutely. listings. Yes, yes, yes. You're, you're going to find yourself getting counterfeit complaints on your own product. Mm. Your product images don't match what was originally on the page. Uh, I have seen this happen, and it's, it's sort of a slap in the face, but it, it's, it's this level of sloppiness that we have to avoid at all costs. So... Um, for the seller who's looking to build a private label brand and put it in a generic brown box, all I can say is you're asking for trouble. So some level of customization fairly quickly on the packaging is an important thing to do. Yeah. Even if it's going to cost you an extra 15, 20 cents, you've got to do it to protect yourself on the back end. It may make no difference to the customer, but you've got to provide yourself with enough avenues to, to have means of being able to say to Amazon, wait a minute, I, I'm getting taken advantage of here by, by these, uh, these trollers. Um, you've got to take these guys down. Yeah. Before, before we do any of this, though, and, and I suspect you've, you've discussed this in, in previous podcasts, but what, what, one of the, the big issues about anybody looking to get into private label, you have to understand, well, why did you go into private label in the first place? You probably went into private label because you think you can make some money. There are there are some good national brands out there, and, and you think you can make a better version, better, cheaper, faster version of the product. 
that is often the, the philosophy that I'm that I'm seeing. And the reality is just as you're going to do that with a national brand, as your brand gets built up, somebody looks at your brand and says, well, I'm going to make a cheaper, faster, quicker version of that product. And they can either choose to do that and put it on their own brand name, which, which is typically legitimate unless there's some sort of a design infringement. Uh, but if they decide, you know what, forget it, I'm just going to load my listing or load my offers on your listing because you've already got good traction with traffic and product reviews and so on. Uh, I mean, you can understand the philosophy here, which is e even if I'm not trying to do something underhanded, but I'm a little lazy or I don't really understand the ways of Amazon, I may say, well, my striped socks look similar enough to yours that even though mine has a couple extra stripes in it, no one's really going to notice. And really, what's the, what's the harm in doing that? Well, I mean, obviously there is harm, but but it's easy to understand how people don't necessarily see that distinction as being important when they're not necessarily uh, experienced in the ways of Amazon. Mm, no, no, that's th those are good points. They're they're definitely good points. And I, I want to go back and kind of circle back a little bit to the packaging. Like you yep. said, if you're just going to stuff it in a in a in a brown box, yep. you know that's fine and all, but at least take the time and maybe, like you said, go after changing the color of the box and then creating your UPC code in, in the graphic on the box. Um, right. That's just simple little tweaks that you could do with the generic box that a lot of times factories will do. They'll customize that package for you by you know color and design that way, just not maybe right. the shape of the box. Um, really, the really easy way I've to seen, do it. Scott, I was going to say, Scott, the other thing I've seen with packaging that's, that's kind of clever is ask the company that makes the packaging to print something on the inside of the box. Ooh. What you'll find is a counterfeiter, even, even if they look at your images on your site, and they say, oh, I can make that, they have no idea what's on the inside of the box mm. unless they were to do a test buy, which they're probably not going to do. And I'm literally talking, on the inside of the box, there could be like a single number written on it mm. or, or just reprinting your brand name, something very simple, very inexpensive. When you do the test buy, open up the packaging and see, uh, yeah, the inside of the box, it's not consistent with my own. I, I know that somebody's doing something funny here. Uh, that's going to be a very easy way to essentially catch people who clearly are using uh, images on the website to, to try to, to, to recreate whatever mm. you've created. Yeah, no, so, I, I like that. I mean, a simple thing would just be to put, like you said, put your own, uh, you know, your own logo inside the box because uh, they have already gotten it, and it's really just yeah. a simple little print, right? So, yeah, I love that. Or an, just a unique identifier in some in some way. And if it turns out that double-sided printing is a little bit too painful, then go get yourself a whole sheet of stickers with your brand name on it, and then just have them sticker something internally. Or if you have to do it yourself, yeah. I mean, there's lots of different ways. They all have different cost and time involved. But these are all ways to be able to demonstrate, wait a minute, I'm, I'm getting a product that's not the same as mine. Amazon recognizes that the whole product offering has to be consistent. So it's not just the product itself, but the packaging around the product. So any of these, any of these opportunities to distinguish your combination of product plus package gives you an avenue to be able to say to Amazon, I don't know who these guys are, but this is not the same as what we have. Mm. I think the other thing too, and correct me if I'm wrong, probably be a smart idea too to put an insert of some kind in there. Have them print an insert and put in there. Would that be something that could help you? Because you can say all of ours comes with this special, you know, unique insert that describes how to use the the product and such. So you can do an insert. I'll tell you the one the one challenge with an insert is that if an insert honestly falls out of the box, ah uh, yes, okay. Th then then how do you 
how do you tell that story? Whereas if something is physically part of the box, physically part of the product, a UPC doesn't fall off the, the, the item itself yeah. if it's been imprinted on point. the item. That, that's a good so, point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going to be wrapping up here. I did have one other question, sure. though, James, sure. is because um, you, you talked in the beginning a little bit about uh, you know being able to take over your listing because they have a little bit more authority. Let's yep. talk uh, briefly about that. Getting authority on your brand, how does that actually happen? I mean, I personally think this is my own hunch, but I think as you have either more SKUs with more sales, with uh, maybe more seller feedback, maybe you know, you, you've know you just been seasoned longer, you've been on the platform longer, you start to build up some type of authority. Am I wrong in, in that thinking? Well, there's a lot of behind the scenes manual adjustments that are made and the vast majority of sellers will never have their content authority updated. Okay. So you come onto the platform, you do five years of awesome sales volume, your content authority is not likely to get changed at all unless some human says, oh, wait a minute, Scott's doing a great job. Um, I want to recognize that hard work by giving him a slightly better content authority. Now, the, the way to circumvent all that is to get the product into brand registry because the, the SKUs, you as a seller may not get a higher content authority, but your listings that are in brand registry get a very, very high product or sorry, content authority. So, uh, even though you as the seller on normal listings don't get any special treatment, the listings you've put through brand registry on brands that you've had approved, they all get special treatment. And because you're this exclusive one that has access to making changes to those, essentially your account by de facto, if all you're doing is selling brand registered brands, that then you've built up some, some content authority on your listings because all your listings have much higher content authority. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. So I, I, again, I just wanted to hear how you were thinking that the authority would come into play because as we build out this stuff, we want to know that we're building a brand that is getting stronger, that if we list new products, they're going to be able to maybe rank a little bit easier because we've had a, you know, a little bit of a history and Amazon wants to promote. You, is that, is that not right? I mean, you don't, you don't feel as though. So if you come along and you create a second brand, not a brand, mm -hmm. a, a second product under that brand. If you, so if you've already got a brand, you've already got brand registry on that brand, you create a second brand, you're still in a situation where you're going to have to start from scratch in terms of building up traffic on that product listing. So I, I want to be careful. We're, we're combining a couple issues here. One, one is content authority around whether or not your product content will show up on the product detail page as the dominant content versus is your new product going to get good search and discovery when customers go looking for it. And that, that's a little bit of a different issue that isn't tied to content authority that you have. It's tied to a bunch of other issues. Okay. Uh, well, maybe we'll have to have you back on. We can discuss that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, because uh, yeah, that, that is a whole nother, a whole nother uh, topic, I guess, that we could probably dive into. Um, but I did want to just briefly, because in the beginning you talked about having, you know, a, a listing that has more authority comes in and they could just take your listing over easier because they have more authority. And I'm just curious to, as to how would they get that kind of authority, especially a troll that's kind of going right. through and doing this stuff. Um, you know what I mean? So yeah, but we can definitely... We definitely touch into that, but I, I guess best practices always will trump, uh, you know, uh, going out there and trying to cut corners and, and trying to create these shortcuts. I, I want to offer up uh, an interesting opportunity for, for, for sellers right now that Amazon's making available. Um, 
one of the other ways to make it very difficult or, or less enticing for somebody to take over your, your product listing is to put a video on the page. Now, typically you can't put videos on pages, except that right now Amazon is allowing folks who create a Vendor Express account to add videos to up to five product listings, new product listings. Mm. Well, if you've, got a, if you've got a video right underneath your main images, Anybody who comes along and says, well, wait a minute, you've got a video for stripy socks. How on earth am I going to put my cell phone accessory on a product listing that's got a video tied to it? Uh, that's, a hard, that's a hard stretch. So uh, if, you've got a, if you've got a limited number of new products you're creating, go set yourself up with a Vendor Express account. It's free. Uh, once you have the Vendor Express account, you can create the listings in Vendor Express only for the purpose of being able to add videos but then you can go back into Seller Central and you can modify all the content. You can still do brand registry. You can still do all that kind of good stuff. But you've got this bonus feature of being able to add a video directly onto the product detail page, which, again, makes you a whole lot less enticing to a troller who's trying to take over a page that's got some good traction. Mm, I love that. That's a great tip. Yeah, definitely be looking into that. Vendor uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Vendor, Vendor Express. Express. Vendor and that Express. there, well, again, we'll, we'll link that up in the show notes. Um, yep. All right, James, th this has been awesome. This has been really, really a nice deep dive into the whole uh, topic of hijacking and how we can protect ourselves and just how we can do a better job at making it harder for other people to just jump on and, and take, you know, over our hard work and the traffic that we've we've worked so hard to get. So I want to thank you for coming on. I want you to also talk about the event that you have. You have an event uh, coming up I, when people are listening to this. Uh, I believe that they'll still have a few weeks, probably about four to five weeks sure. before you're doing sure. it talk a little bit about the event and uh, I know that there's some of my students that are actually going to be attending it I will not be able to just because of a conflict in schedule but uh, I would definitely want to be attending this it sounds like it's going to be awesome why don't you talk a little bit about that and tell us uh, sure. why and, and what it, it will do for uh, for sellers so with with a dozen other former Amazon business heads I put together a conference called the prosper show prospershow.com uh, it's an event in Salt Lake City on February 8th and 9th with about 60, 65 speakers uh, over two days. It's pretty intense. This is a continuing education event for Amazon sellers that are looking to understand how to improve all the major business operations that they need to run uh, to, in order to be a successful Amazon seller. So I have a number of competing, or excuse me, competing solution providers who are going to talk about very, very high-level uh, topics and get into the details around uh, what are the differences across inventory order management systems? What are the major issues around inventory order management systems? I, I've got the four main people from uh, the four main uh, tax collection and remittance companies. I've got feedback, product reviews, accounting. Uh, I've got a whole series of these different panels on major topics where the experts across many different companies are going to be essentially hashing it out. What are, what are the key issues that sellers need to think about? What can they do themselves? What are the areas where it makes sense for them to think about working with an external solution provider? By way of having many different perspectives on the same panel, I think we're going to get much closer to uh, some level of truth around what are all the issues and how do we make Amazon sellers much better consumers when it comes time to think about using different external solution providers. So th this is an event unlike anything else that's ever been done, both in terms of the number of former Amazon business leaders who are going to be participating, 
but, but also the breadth of topics and the depth of the topics by way of having four, five, and sometimes six competitors all discussing together what are all the issues that, that are important for Amazon sellers to understand. So we'd love to have, we'd love to have folks from, from, your, from your audience come out to participate. Um, it will be quite an intensive event. We're not doing this in a crazy place like Las Vegas. We want everybody there for the two days. Uh, bring your notes, write lots and lots of notes. Um, very interesting people will be at the event. Lots of opportunity to network and be able to walk away from this event and say, what do I need to do to make my 2016 business run at a much more efficient level, a much more profitable level, and be in a position that you're not spending all of your time working in your business, but rather spending more time working on your business. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And uh, uh, Tyrone, actually, uh, he's actually who hooked you and me up, and he yes, had some lunch yes. with you, and uh, and he talked uh, highly of you and of uh, of the event, and and he kind of brought it to my attention. Um, mm -hmm. may, maybe we can do this because I, again, I can't attend. I, I wish I could, but uh, yep. maybe what we can do is uh, if you have a link that you want to put in the show notes, maybe I'm not asking sure. for an affiliate commission or anything like that. I'd like to pass on any savings to the audience, so maybe we can drop a link in there for them that they can save some money and then this way here um whatever uh you know type of affiliate thing there we can maybe just work something out till they get the best Great. deal possible uh, i will i will give you a custom link for your audience with a discount code something that will hopefully entice them to make the two-day commitment to come to the event and uh learn a huge amount about topics that they might not realize are as important as they are to driving a successful amazon business yeah, no, that sounds awesome. Again, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot of topics uh, or a lot, a lot of uh, di different things that you're you're kind of uh, involved in. So uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your uh, out of your busy schedule. And uh, we'll definitely probably have you back on though, James. We can deep dive into some of those other topics. Great. Thanks for the opportunity today, Scott. Yeah, no problem. Thanks again. I know the audience is going to love it. So take care, and I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye bye. Okay. So there you have it. All of the information that we need to know about hijacking and how to protect our listings. Now, the one big thing that I took away here is that we want to create, okay, our listing to be our own in a sense to where it also makes it harder for other, you know, hijackers, these people that are doing this evil thing to us or, you know, to other sellers, making it so we're not as easy of a target, right? So when they come to our listing, they see these things in place and they go, you know what? We're going to skip this one and go to the next one that's easier because this one here is too much work. That's the big thing that I took away from here. Now, that does require more work on our part, but you know what? That's okay because that's the things that we should be doing in order to protect our brand and our Amazon selling you know, store and rank and all of that stuff. We want to be able to protect that as best that we can. Okay. Now, anyone that's listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm all scared. Now, you know, don't be scared. Just take this information and apply it to your business. Or when you start up, you know, apply it to that. Just knowing this stuff, like I didn't know this stuff going into this. If I did, I probably would have did things even a little bit more different. But now I know. So when I launch new products, I'm going to know how to, you know, build out these listings and how to protect myself in a sense. All right. So I hope that this has been helpful to you. I know I've learned a ton. I want to thank James once again. Now, if you guys are interested at all in attending the Prosper event, now I am not going to be there. I would be attending if I didn't have conflicts, but I am not going to be 
there, but he's been so generous to uh, take and give our our TAS listeners a discount. So if you guys are at all interested, now I'm not an affiliate for this. I will not earn a commission for this at all. I actually asked him if he would give a discount for a commission that I would be making. So this way here, I can just kind of like take it and apply it to you guys. You guys get the best deal. So I'm going to leave a link on this episode. So this episode is theamazingseller.com forward slash 147. If you go to that page, there should be a link there that you can go through and receive that discount that James was telling us uh, that he would give us. All right. So I just wanted to put it out there. If you're at all interested, go ahead, check that out. Now, if you're listening to this after February, that event will have ended, but he may be having one in the future. I don't know. But before that, head over there, check it out. And again, James uh, is a really great guy and he's got a lot of knowledge. So someone that you might want to uh, pay attention to. All right. So that's it, guys. That's going to wrap up this episode. I really, really wanted to say again, thank you for an amazing 2015 that we just wrapped up. And I'm really excited for 2016. And I have to close out the show as I always do. You guys have to remember this. All right. I'm here for you. I believe in you. I'm rooting for you, but you have to, you have to come on, say it with me, say it loud, say Stay proud. Take action. Have an awesome, amazing day, and I'll see you in the next episode.